Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And those values then, once you say, this is what we're going to embrace, and you should have five to seven, you know, that you have listed. You can write them out in principle statements if you like, and some do that as well. Because once again, my mom would say values are what you live by, principles are what you stand on. So it becomes a principle when it becomes automatic. But that should drive every decision that the organization's going to make, even their strategy, initiatives, does it match our values? If ethics is one of your values and you all of a sudden think that you have to do something unethical because of a short-term gain, then you, you know it will be seen by everybody. With that being, then your mission is your reason for existence. Why do you exist? And that's important and probably even more important today. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Today, I want to introduce you to Mark Villarreal. Mark is a business coach, a consultant, and a trainer. His job is to help businesses develop their employees, create strong leadership teams, and build a positive culture. He has spent 35 years in corporate America with more than 20 years at C-level positions. He's also been a VP of a $5 million company, $50 million company, and a $500 million a year company. All of this has brought Mark to where he is today, helping companies establish long-term sustainable growth. According to Mark, company culture is everything. And this is true for small businesses too. It defines who you hire, who you fire, and how you do business in general. If you're looking to grow your company, but you're not sure what your mission statement is, you've got to listen to this episode. Today, we talk about why it's critical to have a clear vision for your company how to leverage your company's values to hire the right people, the importance of defining your mission statement and communicating it to every employee, and finally, why company culture starts with leadership. Leadership and culture are such important topics for business owners and entrepreneurs. You'll definitely learn a lot about the power of mission, vision, and values, and you'll also get to hear some interesting examples from Mark's coaching journey. Feel free to share your thoughts or any questions that you might have after listening to this episode. Enjoy the episode, and thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Tyler. Uh, Real excited to be on the show, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here. Hey, before I get into some of my questions, I just always like to start out with you sharing a little bit about yourself, what you're doing these days, and uh, what what your area of specialty is. Certainly. Well, I mean, a, a little bit about myself is... I spent 35 years in corporate America. The last 21 years were at the C-level, meaning I reported to the CEO or the president of the organization. Some days that was good, some days maybe not so good. But uh, 
you know, I've always had a passion for developing others. In fact, uh, my LinkedIn profile says that when I realized that the more I focused on other people's success, mine came naturally. So with that passion, you know, I always felt like one organization I was with was a franchise organization, helped build the training manuals on how we develop people. And uh, that really got me into writing. So I started writing books. I have eight books on Amazon with my passion on leadership and everything that flows from leadership from there. So what I do today is I coach and consult businesses, you know, travel to them, or now a lot of things are virtual as well. And, uh, you know, whether it's a one-on-one coaching with their teams or an organization out there in California, the Cesar Chavez Foundation, I worked with their leadership team for a year, uh, going out there several times throughout the year. And they had 24 leaders that we took them through a whole uh, program that lasted a year. Yeah. Leadership is such a great topic. And I love your comment about developing people because that's usually a big part of leadership. Before we get a little bit more deeper into that, I'd love to go back in time. And you used to be a turnaround specialist. And I'd love to just talk about some stories in that space. Can you define what a turnaround specialist is? And then maybe just share with us some of your experiences while doing that? Sure. Well, and it really taught me a lot. And it's not like, hey, I want to be a turnaround specialist. Right. Just where you're put in situations, you uh, people start saying, hey, this person has an ability to go into a business or take over a team, help decipher a plan, see what's going wrong. Because it's usually when you talk a turnaround, meaning the business is suffering for uh, whatever reasons, but help decipher, put a plan together and then work on changing the culture and turning it around as quickly as possible. And uh, I uh, early on had a knack for that, that it started being to where it's like, great, we want you to go here and work with this organization. You know, the, the problem with the turnaround specialist is you start getting one going right and then they move you to the next one. So it's like, <laughs> hey, you know, let, me, let me take this one to the next, you know, to the level. But uh, with that, you know, we had an organization, single business in Houston, Texas that was struggling and just uh, whatever, I call it Murphy's Law, whatever could go wrong, would go wrong. And, you uh, employees leaving because, you know, just they were giving bad customer service and bad product to the clients, you know, and they were a training organization that uh, when I went in there, I quickly deciphered that management was the problem and that they, you know, so sometimes it's not always one thing, but they were handcuffing their, uh, their people. And the first thing I did was really quickly empowered every individual there. So, when they had a customer service problem, I'm like, let's call the client, bring it to my office. I'll call with you. And then they saw how I would speak to the client. So we were proactive. Even before the client knew there was a problem, we would tell them, hey, here's who we are. We would address it. And then I would empower them. You see what I did. I want you to do the same. You're empowered to make decisions. You're empowered to offer them free training, whatever it takes to correct the situation. And I would just basically teach them how to problem solve. And uh, eventually, man, I had, you know, problem solvers all around me that with that location, we tripled the business in three months. It was, in fact, I said, what did you do? I'm like, I took the handcuffs off. I empowered people where where management didn't want them talking to customers if this went wrong or, but they weren't, management wasn't addressing the problem. And we quickly turned that, that around. And it's funny because I always say, the culture of your organization will show when you have, whether it's a picnic or, you know, type of holiday party, you know, something for the company that uh, it was, everyone showed. 
you know, so sometimes, you know, and uh, it was just everyone was excited about coming to work, whether we had problems or not. They knew that they were empowered and they were going to make it right. The uh, quick story, though, the next one from there was a bigger challenge, though, because uh, San Antonio, Texas, it was a single franchise of a big franchise organization. And the owner was about $500,000 in debt. And this was in the 90s. And uh, so almost ready to close the doors. But uh, we went there. And one of the first things I do, too, is I start assessing the leadership team right away to see who the leaders are and who are not. And to see who understands, because I teach people how I problem solve, because I want them to understand my mindset. And as a leader, you need to be able to problem solve because critical thinking is a huge aspect of leadership. So I start testing the leaders right away to see who are the leaders and who are not, and the staff as well, who are the future leaders. Uh, with there, you know, no one was taking the customer complaints. The salespeople were like, send it to my voicemail. The receptionist is like getting frustrated because customers say, no, you, this is the third time you send in the voicemail. But even vendors were calling because they weren't getting paid and the finance or accounting department weren't taking calls. And so everyone was shocked when I said, I will take all phone calls of complaints, whether it's vendors, whether it's it's this uh, or customers. And I had a four-step routine that I would speak with the customer, and I teach that now in seven steps <laughs> on <laughs> customer service. But even the vendors, I would say, this is this is who I am. This is why I'm here. I can't pay you today, but I will never avoid your phone call. And I will tell you that I will have a plan in place in two weeks, but out of integrity, I would always let you know where we stand. And you know, we really worked on rebuilding that, uh, that business. I tell the story that that business, I, for an odd reason, I started building with a lot of single mothers. So this tells another story where I would, I hired one single mother and they had that I cannot fail attitude and what can I take home to learn, you know, type thing. And then they were deferring a friend that happened to be a single mother. So on the, before I knew it, I had nine single mothers on the sales staff. And so they did you know, that with the other members just the passion on why I believe in women leadership because some of them developing as leaders as well. But within two, uh, we turned that business around very quickly or started having success. But uh, within uh, two years or that business won the most outstanding location of the whole franchise. And there were 260 worldwide in three years that owner sold for $12 million. So, and he's still a good friend today. He better be. <laughs> but it just shows what you can do. But it really, I always say, I didn't do it. It takes going in there, defining it, and building a culture. Culture is everything. And, you know, it built that culture to, for them to believe. And uh, because belief is what changes your attitude, which changes your actions. And so, if we can get deep into the belief system, which is what culture does and mission, vision, and values, and is why I'm so passionate about those is what really gets everyone believing and going in the same direction. So what's your belief when you talk about culture? Does that exist in certain size companies? Is it if you're a five-person company, should there be a culture awareness? Or where, where does it start, in your opinion? Well, I think it, it, I'm a sole proprietor and I have a culture. Okay. So okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you look at my website, I have my values. My first value is always is humility because I think my mom used to tell me and I, I forgive me if I quote my mom a lot, but she would say humility is a strength, not a weakness because uh, she was real big on my character. But she says humility will teach you to always have mentors. Humility will teach you to mentors others, pay it forward. Humility will teach you that you could correct yourself when you make mistakes and people really, a true leader is genuine and people flock to that. 
you know, and culture is what drives everything. I, you know, so culture is defines who you're going to hire, who you're going to fire, you know, unfortunately, uh, and what decisions you make. And that's, you know, all the way down to your value system. Totally agree. Hey, I do want to shift gears. Turnaround specialist, very fascinating stuff. Sounds like a lot of times it's around people are the problems or the challenges or sure. managing people, developing them. And then you mentioned mission and vision. And I'd love to get, I know you have a book around that. I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Can you share with me how companies should typically approach their vision and mission? What do they do they put that to paper? Do they share that every quarter? What what does that look like? I mean, if someone doesn't have a vision written out or, or planned in their business. Well, yeah, I wrote a book to help and even shows people, hey, here's how you communicate it. You know, uh, here's how you involve everybody, uh, you know, because sometimes you might have to reevaluate your mission, vision, and values every three to five years. But every organization, even mine, a sole proprietor, needs to have a mission, a vision, and your values. I always say I teach that you start with your values. I call that that's what you're going to live by. What are you going to live each day and exhibit with your organization? And they're not just words like integrity and honesty. Those are great values. But dig down deep. You know, respect is obviously one, but that's why I say humility. There's another great organization called Rackspace where they talk about having fun at work, you know, those type of things and, and work-life balance. And they really work hard at that. And those values then, once you say this is what we're going to embrace, and you should have five to seven, you know, that you have listed. You can write them out in principal statements if you like. And some do that as well, because once again, my mom would say values are what you live by principles are what you stand on. So it becomes a principle when it becomes automatic. But that should drive every decision that the organization is going to make, even their strategy, initiatives, does it match our values? If ethics is one of your values and you all of a sudden think that you have to do something unethical because of a short-term game, then you know it will be seen by everybody. With that being, then your mission is your reason for existence. Why do you exist? And that's important and probably even more important today because the younger age groups in the workforce actually, uh, and, and I wrote a book about millennials, uh, millennials are big on what your values are and what's your reason for existence. Why am I going to work for you? You know, and I always say is the top 10 things that are important to millennial or the same that are the top 10 of myself. I'm a baby boomer, but they're in a different order. You know, mine was tell me that your stability, how much you're going to pay me. You know, those type of things where millennials is what's your reason for existence? What's the values you're going to live by? And pay is probably number nine. You know, so I've worked with one organization that they said we're having trouble to, to hire millennials. And when I went to the website, I'm like, where's your mission statement? And, and uh, your values are hard to find. I went to their hiring ad and I said, uh, all you have is what job you're hiring for. If you want to show everybody first that culture is important, but also mission, vision and values, why don't you say, here's our mission, you know, here's our reason for existence. Here's the values that we live daily. And here's the opportunity that we have. If you believe that you're a fit, come work for us. So that's why mission, vision, and values are important. Well, I was going to say real quick, vision is usually more internal that it may not be customer facing because it has a what you call a big, hairy, audacious goal. But it's something that the leader needs to be preaching constantly. Can we dig a little bit deeper? What's a good example of like a mission in your mind? Like what would a company have as their mission? It's not necessarily what they do, it, right? It's Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the company Rackspace. So great question. Yeah, yeah. And here's a great example. 
they started in 1998 in San Antonio, Texas. They do managed hosting, meaning they manage all your technology. So obviously, if they go down, all your employees' computers go down. So customer service had to be so important to them because they need to really have no downtime. Their backup systems. So their first mission statement was, we will be fanatics of, about customer service. That's their mission statement. It doesn't tell you what they do, but we will be fanatical about customer service. And that was on their website. You walk into their office. It's on their wall. It's on any printed material. I think it's on their, it's on their business cards. So here's what that drives. First, you're telling every employee, we just told our customers that we will be fanatics about customer service. So how can... So by saying that, they asked every employee, by your role, how do we need to empower you that allows you to be fanatical about customer service? Because we don't want them having to talk to five different people. And they defined how to empower each person. They have parameters. You know, obviously, one person would be allowed to commit the, the company to certain amount of what it might cost them on certain things where others may be less. But they really did a great job about empowering everybody by role based on that mission statement that it and then it's for every vendor or potential partner if you're going to partner with an organization and you look at their mission statement and then you see if they're really driving it i tell a story about where i went to a meeting to meet with rackspace when i was in the technology business and this was back in 2001 and the first thing that their hr manager asked me and it was called uh, director of rackspace university was her title She's like, what's your organization's mission statement? And my salesperson hesitated to where I was able to speak. We empower people to learn, you know. And with that, it immediately told me that they only want to work with other organizations that have a strong culture and are mission-driven. Do you find companies often don't have a mission or they're not following their mission? I mean, what, what do you usually find when you go into an engagement? I'm curious. I say that. What I find a lot of them is that they may have a mission, but it's just writing that sounds fancy to them. We need a mission. Let's put it out there. But the employees don't know it. They don't live it. They don't understand it. You know, I worked for a CEO where we actually, we did a re-rollout. We created a new mission, vision, and values. And every time in that I was on the phone with them or with them in person, he would quiz me about, tell me someone that uh, exhibited our mission statement this week. Tell, you know, and his name was Mark as well. And it's like, so word gets around quick. So he was driving culture from the top down that eventually it becomes from the bottom up. But great leaders learn ways to not only embrace it, but speak to it all the time. And whether it's painted on the walls, but it's like, you know, we would create contests that were, or you know, here's someone that lived our values this week. I'll tell you how they helped the customer, you know, those type of things. And that's, it's powerful that other companies are, I know I need a mission statement. One of the other dangers is that one person will create the mission, vision, and values instead of involving everybody else. There's a process. That's why my book speaks to that, who to involve, because at the end of the day, it's about accountability and ownership of it as well. Yeah, that's kind of my thing on on mission and even values that I've seen in my career a lot both in clients and companies I've worked with over the years, is they'll have a mission, but it doesn't really, it's just a shiny object on the wall. It's a plaque on the wall or sitting on a desk or something, but they don't really live it. Like they don't share it. They don't. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say that's really up to the leader leadership to be sharing that, integrating that into how they're talking and how they're pushing it down so that it becomes in the bloodline 
of the company itself is what I think I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And here's one thing that I teach in my book and I teach when I work with organizations, especially in this category, is everybody, no matter what role they are, should be able to explain to whoever they're telling the mission to how it benefits them. So if I'm speaking to a potential partner and uh, I mentioned, you know, we empower people around the world to succeed to learning was our whole mission. I say, and here's what it means to you, Rackspace. But if it's a potential you know, customer, potential vendor, or just uh, in my elevator pitch, someone in the elevator, here's what that means to you. Here's what we do. Yeah, very cool. Hey, I want to shift gears. I know we've talked about it a little, little bit, leadership. You have a crisis management book. You have a book, a fable about a leadership that's very interesting. I'd love to just get your thoughts on where you see the breakdown in leadership. It sounds like empowering people was one thing I know you've brought up. I'm just curious, what are the common things that you see? And then I'd love to just drill into that a little bit. Well, there's some. I mean, servant leadership is, I always put that word there, and that's where I preach from. And, you know, the John Maxwells of the world, you know, uh, those type. Uh, when one realized, and my mom used to say, your ego is not your amigo. So <laughs> I like that. Hispanic, right? Grew up in <laughs> Southern California. But is that when you're genuine and you show your ability and you truly show that you have an interest in other people's development and you work at that with a passion, I believe everyone should have a development plan. But I think the breakdown comes, one, is the difference between that concept of servant leadership to where it's, I have the stripes, you know, so to speak. And I say that because my dad was a, a drill instructor in the army before I was born. So I was raised with that mentality. <laughs> but the other breakdowns is, communication and expectations. And this is huge. So sometimes I'll even find some pretty decent leaders out there, but they don't communicate enough or early enough. I used to have a sign on my wall that says, until your people start mocking you, you haven't said your message enough. And so early on, if you were my employee, Tyler, I would tell you one of the first things is, Tyler, you know, if it's in the interview, Tyler, one of the reasons you're being interviewed is that we exceed expectations here and we believe that you actually are a match for that. And then if you're hired, Tyler, we're here to exceed expectations, not just to meet them. So let me tell you what that means. And I would tell you from day one, we manage by rewards or consequences. You know, I'd like to manage by rewards every day, but consequences will happen. But Tyler, your success is so important to me, just like we've driven success of others here, that I need to ask you that if I catch you doing something or I see that you're doing something that might hinder your success, would you want me to point that out to you? You do that on day one, everyone says yes, right? And so I said, great. So I might remind you sometimes of that when I need to make behavior modification because that rewards are consequences. How quickly you show your behavior modified will get you back on the reward side. And that's only because out of respect for you and because you're important to me, you know, I want to drive that. But my next thing that I always teach them to say is, let me tell you about self-accountability, Tyler. You know, I want to make sure that you always have a development plan, but if you want to succeed here, I want to see how you take self-accountability, and let me explain what that means. First of all, here's our career lattice that tells you every position in our organization and what are the skills that are needed for each of the roles. If you have interest in any of them, if you take self-accountability on maybe developing yourself or even reaching out to me or other leaders, how can you learn this skill and develop? You're going to get noticed. And when I have more money to invest in people, you'll make that choice easy. When I have a promotion, you'll make that choice easy. So let's talk about a little bit about self-accountability because this is what that means. 
And that's actually what I teach in my millennial book, where they say millennials are entitled. They think they should be promoted. I disagree. They're just not educated. And this is how we, when I worked with millennials, they thrived on knowing the why. That's part of the why. That's why I talk about career lattices and instead of career ladders. It's more about the lattice nowadays. These are things that we teach in organizations, but not all leaders communicate enough. You know, and then the final thing is, I'm going to quote my mom again, <laughs> confrontation is a benefit. She would say, you need to confront issues quickly and not let them pile up. And uh, that's what I teach leaders. And it's not always easy, but you get better as you do it. But And I was known for nothing sitting on my plate. I would confront issues, get to the other side. And nowadays, that's why emotional intelligence is so important. One of the big things, I, I teach a lot of workshops on emotional intelligence but really what, or, you know, what does that mean, the five components, and how you utilize it uh, to, have, uh, to be effective. Wow. So just to kind of wrap that up a little bit, it sounds like setting expectations is a huge thing. I love how you ask permission in the interview for some things. So you get, you get buy-in, and it sounds like very clear communication, those, setting some of those things in the framework. And then the other big thing is dealing with the confrontation. You know, actually, frankly, that's something that even I struggle with sometimes. It's very easy to let it slide, but dealing with the challenges where there's some confrontation may be involved. And it doesn't have to be angry or anything. It's just addressing the problem right. and, and talking through it. But that, that's a great one. So that, did I kind of wrap that yeah, up yeah. correctly? It was, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. 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 And so times too, because I worked with one company uh, out in Oklahoma that there's like, well, if we haven't did that, how do we ask, I taught them, well, you can do resets at any time. And here's how you do that. So, you know, if it's gotten away from you, that's fine. Just be honest about it. You know, we talk about first team environment. So, you know, the other thing that leaders may not do is then start setting the environment, which is the culture. First team environment comes from the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's create that first team environment and then teach people the proper habits, which I don't reinvent the will, the seven habits of highly infected people from Stephen Covey. And these are things that I teach daily that I did in the organizations that I was a part of that, that San Antonio business, we had so many of those leaders that were poor, poor people that started entry level were hired by the corporation for regional managers. And, but we had backfill because people wanted to work for us. So I do want to ask about, you know, you brought up culture. Obviously, several of these topics we talk about play a role in culture. Is there anything else you could share in terms of how a company can improve their culture or what they should be doing just beyond? Um, obviously, leadership is a big part of it. Vision, values, those are a big part of it. Anything else come to mind? I mean, it's daily. They need to, whether they make it fun, have to speak to it, embrace it. But uh, one of the, there's so many different things we could say. Here's some leaders maybe let some people last too long. You know, I hate to say it, but not everyone's meant for your business. Certainly show people respect. But I had one person I was working with with one of the organizations that said, uh, I have someone that is, uh, I need to let go, but I can't find a replacement. But they're starting to affect everybody else. And the first thing I asked them is, do you, don't, do you think that the other leaders are watching you? Because if you think you're not being watched, you're fooling yourself. Second, if there's, you know, uh, sometimes you have to make hard decisions. And that means if you can't find somebody else, you're taking over what needs to be done. But if they're, they're, they're not just affecting your other people, they're infecting and they start diminishing your culture. And I teach about how I define uh, whether someone can be successful or not. And part of our culture, I call that part of their character. 
if they show that they their behave if they can modify their behavior when I confront them, then I'll give them every bit of my patience. But if they give me that head nod, but then their behavior doesn't get modified and it becomes a challenge, then they've defined for me that they can't change their culture. And I always say that when I call that bad culture. And when someone has bad culture, there's only two things that can change it. That's something drastic and something divine. And I'm neither of those. Now, have you ever had this situation? I've had this challenge a couple of times in my career. You've got someone that doesn't fit for your organization, but they are very close to the staff. And by letting them go, it actually affects culture in the sense that the staff is losing a friend, essentially. And so it kind of creates, from a morale standpoint, it kind of creates some uneasiness, some uncomfortableness. Have you ever had that situation? And how do you deal with it? Yeah, I sure have. First of all, I say you have to be consistent. So when they see, hey, he's consistent. Second, I confront it. So there's times where I pull people in the office. I'm like, hey, so-and-so. And this is why I say I have a saying it from my mom. Everyone's a 10. She was big into the Olympics. You know, that 10 <laughs> was a perfect score, meaning you know, treat everyone with respect. But you'll find people that just aren't right for your business. You treat them with right. respect. And I teach that if you do that properly, even when you let them go, they'll be the people that would refer other employees to you that, well, maybe we've had some that they become our customers because the business they went to, uh, they have an influence over. But as long as you stay consistent and you address it, if you think you need to say, you know, you know sometimes, you know, we have people that we all enjoy, but they may not be fit for our business. And at the end of the day, I always say I owe it to every employee here that stays with us to run a responsible, profitable business. That's great wisdom there. Hey, so I'd love to kind of come to the end of the show here. I'd love to wrap up with a tip that you could give us either for our personal life or our business that we could apply. Do you got anything off the top of your head that you can share with us that we could apply to our business or personal life? I could probably name several. <laughs> you got eight books worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here, you know, my mom was always just so big on character. And I always tell a story that, well, I'll tell you one of these stories that, that I, she's, couple of them. She would say, I never want that little boy to grow out of you because when you're little, you can always dream big, whether you think you're going to be a fireman, a policeman, you think you can accomplish it. But at some point when you grow up, you start seeing life's challenges and they start telling you that you can't do it. If you keep that little boy in you, you believe that you can always accomplish what you're doing and you'll teach others the same. So that was, that was one of the big ones. That's a great one. That's a great tip. I love that. A lot of wisdom there. Hey, so if we wanted to reach out and learn more about you, I know we could go markvillareal.com, markvillareal2ls.com. Two L's and one R. <laughs> oh, two L's and one R. Thank you. Yeah, okay. And I know that you offer a 30-minute conversation if someone thinks that you can help them out in the leadership space. Any other way you'd want people to reach out to you or if they wanted to chat with you, any social media sites? Well, well, they're welcome to... I have a YouTube channel out there. So you just go up, do a search and because I post free videos and trainings, little I call them tidbits, and you can see uh, even I've been on ABC, CBS, and morning shows, you know, those type of things as well. But uh, LinkedIn, they're welcome to reach out to me there as well. And Twitter is at Mark Villarreal uh, as well. But uh, markvillareal.com is the best way to contact me. You'll see my email and my phone number. And uh, even if it's something that we can discuss that uh, helps you out, it's always about, I, my biggest motto is great leaders pay it forward and the returns just come naturally. That's awesome. Great, great leaders pay it forward. I like that. So I'll also put in the show notes, 
I'll put the links to the, the sites that we just talked about. Also link to your books uh, where they can purchase your books. Really love chatting with you. I love these topics. These to- I feel like these topics, we are each individual topic probably could be an hour plus sure. uh, just conversation yeah. itself. So I love that you shared in such a short amount of time and uh, hope you have a great day and thanks for taking your time to talk with us. No, thanks for having me. Take care. You too, Mark. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.